0: bold faith we anticipate God's amazing blessings whether in this life or in the life to come because our God is gracious our God is faithful our God is in control all right well we've been in a series this summer and we've been walking Hebrews chapter 11 and then what we've done is we've uh, looked back at the faith of those there in the Old Testament so we've moved through the book of Genesis and we've seen Abel's faith in God we've seen Noah's faith in God We've seen Abraham and Sarah's faith in God. And last week, we looked at Joseph's faith in God. And so what we're going to do here today is we're going to move into the book of Exodus. We're going to look at the birth of Moses. And we're going to see the faith that Moses' parents actually had in God Almighty. All right? So if you're taking notes, here's our first point. Number one, faith steps up and acts boldly even in the face of fear. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 2. I'm going to meet you there in a second. But as you're getting there, before we look at the birth of Moses, what I want to do is I want to read to you Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 to 12. And what this does, it gives a snapshot, really, that captures the life of Moses. All right? So it says in Deuteronomy 34, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Now, wow, right? Imagine that eulogy read at your funeral. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Moses had quite a life. This was a special man. But listen, he had an awesome God, and he also had faithful parents. Let me read to you Hebrews eleven twenty-three, which is the passage we'll use to jump into Exodus. It says, by faith, everybody say by faith. faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All right, now on to Exodus 2. That's where you're at. Let's see how this all plays out. This is where the story begins. If we rewind from Deuteronomy 34, this is where it starts. God had a sovereign plan to use Moses as his leader, as a deliverer, right? As a rescuer who would rescue his people from captivity and lead them into the promised land. Here's where God's plan starts. Listen, through the faith of a mom. All right, you ready? Exodus 2, we're going to start in verses 1 to 4. Ready? All right, my wife's ready. All right, here we go. All right. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. All right, so let me give you a little bit of the family tree as we dive into this, all right? Exodus 6 tells us that Moses' dad's name was Amram and his mom's name was Jacobed, all right? The oldest sibling is Miriam. And Miriam, we don't know her age when Moses is born, um, but we do know the age of Moses' big brother. Excuse me. All right. We do know the age of Aaron, who's Moses' big brother. He's three years old. All right. So you've got the oldest sibling, Miriam, probably we're guessing now seven to teen. We've got Aaron, who is three years old. And we've got Moses, who's a teeny little newborn. Everybody say, ah. All right. Teeny little newborn here. All right. And so Exodus 2 really gives us the birth announcement. And you can see it now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. Now, there's something else there. Did you catch it? This is interesting. We know there's something else special about the family tree. All right, what happens here is it tells us these two Levites, they're descendants of Levi who was born to Jacob and Leah. So this special line would become priests in Israel in the future. That would start with Moses' brother Aaron, all right, and his sons, and they would be, they would have the privilege of being the priests in Israel. So pretty cool. All right, verse 2. The woman conceives and, and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Jacobed by faith, hides Moses. Hebrews 11 tells us both parents are on board. Exodus 2 tells us that the mom carries out the plan, and she steps up and acts by faith, and by faith she hides him for three months. Why? Most people want to introduce their baby, not looking to hide their newborn. We even see the scripture says here, I love this, that he was a fine child, right? Hebrews 11 says, uses the word beautiful, right? You could translate that also special. Moses was a special baby. He was a fine child. He was beautiful. And I was thinking this week, really, as parents, that's what we all think about our our babies, Right? You've got this. Cute, do you remember? If you're a parent, do you remember the first time you held that little precious newborn? and just staring into their beautiful face and holding them so close and listening to them breathe. I mean, think about it. You're so filled with love for this little one. I mean, you, you, you can't wait to show them off to your f- uh, friends and your family and try on all those onesies you got. And not to mention the baby's first Christmas outfit, right? I mean... So listen, to have to hide him now because the king, the evil king, has commanded that every newborn Hebrew male should be killed, including your baby, this is tragic. How does this happen? Exodus 1 kind of tells us how this all went down. Is God promised, we saw this last week, that the descendants of Abraham would be numerous. All right, And so God's people grew from 70 in Egypt Um, to to this massive number think of it this way a nation within a nation huge number and so pharaoh began to fear that they would be a threat to his rule and to his people and so in exodus 1 he tells the two hebrew midwives to kill all the males at birth but they fear the lord so they're like no we're not doing that so pharaoh gets angry and he's like fine new command Chapter 1, verse 23, just before we hit chapter 2, new command. Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is what Moses is born into. It's not a time of peace. It's a time of slaughter. It's a time of, of evil against God's people. It's why God now is raising up Moses. And so for three months, Jochebed hides her baby boy. Listen you ever try to keep a baby quiet <laughs> okay like it's not easy let's say this is impossible right i mean go down to the nursery today it's anything but quiet and so she's trying to hide her son and it's not working i'm guessing right you can't keep a baby quiet so she needs a new plan because what would happen if moses is found what would happen to to miriam what would happen to aaron what would happen to the family listen Enter the story here. All of her decisions are difficult. The weight of the mom. And so she has to act boldly. She trusts the Lord and she puts Moses in a basket in the river and trusting him really into the very hands of God. And can you imagine? Mom's just, you're making the basket, you're weaving it together. There's tears pouring down your face. I have three kids. There, there's no words to describe this. Verse three, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes. She daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. She makes a mini ark. It's a floating cradle. And she puts him there uh, by taking the, the bulrushes and the river reeds, she weaves the basket Dobs it with bitumen and pitch, which is like a waterproofing it. It's a sticky, tar-like substance that would waterproof it and seal it, and she places it there in the Nile River among the reeds. Miriam has a part. Baby's put there. Miriam is standing off at a distance, watching to see what's going to happen to her baby brother. And you can't even imagine the heartbreaking, devastating weight of all this and look we know the story they didn't we know what God's going to do they're living it one second at a time as son and brother brother sit in crocodile infested waters praying and trusting and hoping in a God that they know is good church you can trust God he is trustworthy He is trustworthy, but listen, this story is a huge reminder to all of us that God is God, we are not. And so God's plans and his ways of working out his plans, a lot of times, right, are are very different. We can't comprehend them. We can't fathom them. And so what do we do? We anchor ourselves in God's character. We anchor ourselves in the promises of God because we can't always see or comprehend what God is doing. In fact, I've heard it said that you can, you can trust the heart of God even when you can't trace the hand of God. You can trust the heart of God and maybe there's something in your life today. Maybe there's something you're feeling fear over. Maybe there's something that's been devastating. Maybe there's something you're waiting on. Do you have it in your mind? Listen, the Old Testament saints in this way are a great example to us because like Jacobed, our faith gets rooted in God, in who he is, in his character, in his promises, and it steps up and acts. So we want to do what Jacoba did. She believed God for who God is, and she stepped up and acted, even in the face of these fearful circumstances. She believed God, and these three essential truths, she believed God, all about God, but these three essential truths that I want to share with you today, these are vital, these three truths, as we walk in our faith. In fact, I think Pastor Tim has shared on this before, all right, we call it the three-legged stool. I got a picture here for you, just to get a little bit of an image and a visual, you can put that up, right? So three things, as God has revealed himself in scripture, we trust who God is, that God is all loving, that God is all wise, that God is all powerful. He is always all three. God is all loving and wise and powerful. And so we can rest all of our weight on this stool. All right, we, we can believe God for who he is and firmly sit in our faith on the stool. And we need all three to not fall over in our faith. You don't want to kick out a single leg, right? I tell my guys in counseling, don't sweep the leg, all right, keep them all there, because if you kick out the all-loving leg, listen, you have a God who knows everything and who's powerful enough to do anything, but maybe he doesn't necessarily love me, and that leads us down a path of hiding and fear, and so we don't want to kick that leg out, and you don't want to sweep the all-powerful leg if If we do, that means what, he loves me a ton and he knows everything about me and about everything. He's all wise, but he isn't powerful enough then to carry out his good plans or even help me in my current trial. And so we want to rest in God, not kicking out any of the legs. We want to sit firmly on the three-legged stool, living by faith, not by fear. God is all-knowing. God is all-loving. God is all-powerful. I can trust God. God. You say it. I can trust God. I can trust God. So in your current circumstances, are you believing God for who he is? Are you sitting all of your weight on the three-legged stool? Are you stepping up and acting boldly even in the face of fear? That's point one. Here's two. Faith steps up. Our bold faith is often rewarded with amazing blessings. Bold faith is often rewarded with amazing blessings. Let's go back to the story here, all right? Because we've got Moses still in a basket in the water. We've got Miriam off to the side watching to see what's going to happen. We've got Jochebed's heart breaking as she places herself and her baby into the merciful hands of God. And now everybody say this, God is in control, God is in control and he has a plan. Look at verse five. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. At just the right time, we'll say God's time, at just the right time, here comes Pharaoh's daughter and all of her servants. And this is the evil Pharaoh's daughter and all of her helpers. And she sees the basket. What is she going to do? Is she going to just turn it over in the river? Is she evil like her father? Or is she just going to blindly obey his command? Well, look at verse 6. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. The basket's enclosed. She opens it up. She sees a scared and crying little baby Moses, and God now moves the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Far from destroying him, she has pity on him. She has compassion on the little guy. Look, God is overall. God is working here in amazing ways, and now it's time for big sister Miriam to step up. She has a part in all this. Look at verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Listen, every single person, young or old, however young, however old, can be used of God in huge ways. However young, however old. This is Miriam's part in the story. And you wonder, was this all planned? You know, did... Was this a regular bathing spot of the princess? And so Miriam and mom come up with a plan. We're going to set Moses right there. We're going to make a basket and put him there and see what happens. And here's what you're going to say. Let's rehearse this in your mind. As, this is what you're going to tell her if she opens the basket. And as we kind of pray for this, we don't know. But we do know that they were 100% dependent upon God. Moses could die any moment. But God's at work. Miriam asked Pharaoh's daughter if she could go get a Hebrew woman to nurse Moses. You see, you see what Miriam implies here? This is really incredible. She's saying, defy your dad, the king. Defy him. Let the baby live. Listen, I'll help. Let me run. I'll get somebody so that you could keep the baby alive. What courage of Miriam. Listen, I love in Exodus chapter one, chapters 1 and 2 that all the heroes of the story are female. You've got the two Hebrew midwives in chapter one. You've got in chapter two, Jacobet. You've got Miriam. You've got Pharaoh's daughter. And now look at verse eight, what will happen. She makes the plea and Pharaoh's daughter, verse eight, said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Can you believe this? God turns her heart. She agrees to the plan. Miriam goes and gets her mom, Moses' mom. And now look at verse nine. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child. The mom took Moses and nursed him. This is really amazing. God is awesome, isn't he? This is so incredible. Their faith is rewarded with these amazing blessings and Can you imagine the joy and the satisfaction of now raising the little one who you thought you lost? Moses was at the edge of the grave, they got him back. Moses gets to live, Jacob gets to keep her son, and listen, the evil king is gonna open up his wallet for his daughter and pay for all this, all (laughs) right? Only God could do such a thing. God is in control, God had a plan, listen, The king may have been seated on a throne, but God's throne is higher, amen? God is in control, God is in charge, God is bigger, and God is so good. He takes care of all the details. Listen, I'm gonna ask you a few questions here. You have to answer out loud, okay? A little active participation, but you're gonna get 100% on the quiz, because I'm gonna give you the answers here. Every answer is no, okay? You got it? All right. Are crocodiles out of God's control? Is an angry, evil Pharaoh out of God's control? Is a princess's heart out of God's control? No. Is the helpless baby in a makeshift basket out of God's control? No. Is the life of a heartbroken mom out of God's control? No. Now listen. One more. Is your life out of God's control? No. He's overall. You can trust him, God is bigger. So let me ask you, how big is your view of God? Would you say your view of God is like this big? Or is your view of God like this big? Because there's something I see in the story that's so important and it's really true for our lives too. I want you to see this. Church, when God seems most hidden, He's not. When God seems most absent, He's not. He's working. And behind all the suffering, God is working in our lives. God works through our failures. God works through our weakness. God works through our confusion. God works through our hardship. Nothing hinders God's sovereignty. Even when we don't see it, God is at work. God is in charge. In fact, I wanted to share this little illustration with you uh, to show you from my life how God is always working. So I wrote this down. I stand here today preaching uh, God's word to you. How did that happen? Well, I applied for this job here um, because I met Pastor Tim in Uh, 2005, 2006, I was the high school pastor at a church in Naperville. Tim was the adult ministries pastor. That's where we met there at that church. Well, how'd that happen? Well, I went on a sports mission trip, actually, to Scotland. And that's where I met the senior pastor of that church in Naperville. How'd that happen? Well, my best friend, Jeff, he knew the senior pastor. All right? And so he invited me to come, and then he had, and I was like, well, I'm not really sure, I want to go to Scotland, I don't know if I have the time. So he tells the senior pastor, the senior pastor then calls me, and he invites me, and God kind of used all that to bring me on the trip. Well, how'd that happen? Well, because I met my friend Jeff, who's my best friend, and I met him in 2001, the very first day that I was at church after I got saved. Well, how'd that happen? Well, because back in 2001, a buddy of mine from high school who I played basketball with, he, he left Texas and he came back to Illinois because he had failed out of grad school. So now he's living back in Illinois and he was actually the one that invited me to church for the very first time where I heard the gospel and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So listen, I wouldn't be here today if my high school buddy hadn't failed out of college. Right? <laughs> Uh, God is behind it all. That's what we're seeing. My life in the story, even when I don't see it, God is good. God is working. You can trust him. Your very life is being woven together by a master artist. Surrender everything to this God. Just like with Moses, God has a plan for you. God is bigger. God is in control of your life. He has a plan. So let me ask you, what's going on in your life today that looks like it's out of God's control? Is it? What situation are you facing right now where God seems absent? Is he? You may think, you know, life is falling apart and It's been super difficult, but we have to remember that God's at work, right? And God doesn't always work the way that we think God's going to work. And a lot of times he works as we see in mysterious and amazing ways. And in the middle of it all, sometimes God just tosses on these huge blessings as we see in the story. And listen, not because we deserve them, but because we need them. God Almighty, God is at work. Bold faith, it steps up. Bold faith is often rewarded with amazing blessings. Let's look at point three. Bold faith sees when trust and submission are essential. So we're gonna see in verse 10 now. uh, When the child grew older, she, which is Moses' mom, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. In God's sovereignty, Moses gets found in the Nile. In God's sovereignty, Moses is raised up um, for his own mom to be able to kind of care for him for a season, right? As she gets to wean him. But now in God's sovereignty, Moses is going to be adopted by the princess and he's going to go live in the palace. So everybody say again, by faith. By faith. By faith, Jacobed now gives Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter. Imagine giving him back. This is another part of the story. Did she walk him into the palace? Did she think to herself, will we see him again? Will he remember us? Imagine, imagine the last hug goodbye. I don't like to leave my kids for the weekend. She gives him over. And how old was Moses when he left his parents for the palace? We, we don't know. It doesn't say, people speculate, maybe three to five years old, right? Uh, Some people may say, no, maybe more like six to 10 years old, actually. We don't know. I would just say this. He's old enough that Moses grew up learning the faith of his parents, right? He was firmly established and he was rooted in his Hebrew identity. We see that. And he worshiped the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. His parents raised him up in the Lord. And it was this God that Moses' parents really surrendered all their life to, just open hand surrender to God. And they had recognized that God had saved Moses, that God had a plan for Moses, and his life in the palace would be used of God now in a special way. And so ultimately, look, they submit themselves to the greater and grander plans of God in the midst of all this for Moses, their, their child belonged to the Lord. And so this really was, again, a thy will be done moment in their life. As hard as it was to hand over their beautiful son, their special son, God was at work in the midst of the trusting. And listen, we know God did have a great and grander plan for Moses. I wrote this down. Moses uh, would be loved by the princess, which is Pharaoh's own daughter. Moses would have the provision of the best food and health care and the protection of the king. All right, he's part of the royal family now. And he's given a place of honor. He's given a place of privilege there. I mean, you think about it, he would travel by chariot. He'd be trained. He would be educated. He would be skilled by the best that Egypt has to offer is what God's doing as he puts them there. Another way you could say it like this, the evil Pharaoh who wanted Moses dead will now give him free housing and pay for his education, all right? Also, really going to be his grandfather, part of the family now as he heads into all this, and I love this, everything Pharaoh does backfires on him. God is bigger. God's in control. Who could do such a mighty thing? God had a plan. And in the midst of all this, God even used, listen, he even used God, the evil of the king, to accomplish his highest purposes. He even used the evil of the king to accomplish his highest purposes. I've heard it said, God wins great victories in the midst of apparent defeat. Verse 10, she names him Moses because she drew him out of the water. Listen, we know th- this is the Moses that would later draw God's people out of Egypt through the water, the Red Sea. Right, this is the Moses that would choose to live for God, not Pharaoh. All right, this is the Moses that would be used of God to lead Israel uh, in the wilderness. This is the Moses that would lead the people to the very edge of the promised land. This is a Hebrew. This is a Levite. This is a leader. This is a prophet. This is God's chosen deliverer. God has a plan. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 to 28, if we go back into Hebrews 11, it says this now about Moses. It says when he was grown up, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's a really cool phrase. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Moses lived by faith just like his parents did. And that's where it really all started. Through a sovereign God working in the hearts of his mom and dad, all this understanding came from his parents. They raised him up in the Lord. When he was old, he did not depart from it. And their seeds then that they planted of faith and identity and theology, it all blossomed into this incredible life for God. And so here's how I want to wrap up uh, this message today. I want to just give a, a short encouragement to you as parents. And we have such a privilege and a responsibility to be able to model Christ to our kids and to be able to raise them up or bring them up in the Lord And so I want to just give you here as we close just five things you can do as a parent as you raise your kids in the Lord. Now listen, five things you can do from the very beginning of their life, all right? Here's number one, pray. Pray with them, pray for them. Uh, It's not the last thing to do, it is the best thing to do. Pray. Here's the second one. Five things you can do. Number two, read the Bible to them, right? Saturate their minds daily with God's word. Read the Bible to them. Make sure they know the stories of the Old Testament. Make sure they know God. And that leads us really to number three. So pray, read the Bible to them. And number three would be this. Teach them about the one true God. Teach them about the one true God. Teach them from scripture. Uh, about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They're never too young to teach truth to. Yes, we have to be clear and use words that they can understand and be patient with them, but man, talk about things like God's character. Talk about things like sin, the cross, forgiveness found in Christ, what it means to trust Jesus and what it means to be forever in heaven with God. Pray, read the Bible, them, teach them about the one true God. Number four, teach them through your example. Teach them through your example. So model a love for Christ and then use, use everything in your life to share Jesus with them, right? Worship Christ, live for Christ, and then use everything in your life to share Jesus with them. The idea is that all of life is a classroom, just like Jesus did. I mean, he used birds and water and examples of fig trees and sheep to teach his disciples about God and God's kingdom. All right, and we do the same. Pray, read the Bible to them, teach them about the one true God, teach them through your example. Here's number five teach them to stand strong for God. All right, teach them to stand strong for God so that when they grow up, Right, to be very careful that they do not forget God. To be very careful of the world around them. Teach them to stand strong, to make a radical decision to live for Jesus Christ and to not be a friend of the world. <clears throat> Five things you can do as an encouragement from the very beginning of life. You can pray, read the Bible to them, teach them about the one true God, teach them through your example, teach them to stand strong for God. All right? Bold faith. As a recap here, bold faith. We we step out and we act even in the face of fear. Why? Because we trust in the character and the promises of God. Bold faith. We anticipate God's amazing blessings, whether in this life or in the life to come, because our God is gracious, our God is faithful, our God is in control. Which leads us to the last one. Bold faith. We trust God And we submit to his greater and grander plans knowing that he is over every single detail. Amen? Amen. Bold faith. Let's pray.